0: The Profit Constructors presents Construction Junction, the junction between accounting and construction. Please welcome our host, Tanya Schulte.
1: Welcome back to this next episode of the Construction Junction podcast. My name is Tanya Schulte, your host. Um, I am Uh, the founder of The Profit Constructors, where we help you run with the big dogs. I also lead the Construction Junction Roundtable. So if you are an accountant in the construction space, and you're interested in joining other accountants for regular conversation around uh, topics that can help your clients, such as the topic that we're talking about today, which isn't necessarily straight up accounting related, although it does have corollaries, um, come and join us at the Construction Junction Roundtable. We'd love to uh, have all of you construction accountants uh, in there. Today, we are going to be talking about something. Again, like I said, it's not necessarily accounting related, but it does uh, correlate in that it's something that the business owners that we work with on a regular basis need to know more about um, and should be aware of and should be thinking about in terms of their business, how it's operated, how it's growing, um, and how to protect it. Because what we are talking about today is estate planning and asset protection so um, one of the things that I'm very excited about in in terms of talking about this is I think so many business owners tend to um, put this on the back burner and tend to not really want to uh, discuss it for a lot of different reasons. Um, one is it's sort of human nature right to not want to uh, think about what would happen what could happen um, that's not very pleasant. Um, So I think we we tend to put that on the back burner. We'll we'll think about that later. We'll do something about it later. I think that is um, a common thing that happens when it comes to estate planning, especially. Uh, But even with asset protection, um, it's something that tends to be backburnered, maybe because it's not necessarily something we don't want to think about, but because it doesn't seem important at the time. What seems more important is, uh, you know, fueling the business making the business grow but as the business grows it becomes more and more important to make sure that it and its assets and in total are being protected and so um that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to have our uh, guests on today to help us understand this and to help us think about it hopefully in new ways and understand uh, what the terms are understand um you know what is that what is estate planning what is asset um, protection and how do we um make sure that all that's being managed and protected well and um at the same time how do you uh, find the right trusted advisor in this space so when we come back we're going to be talking with um my friend who's also my attorney Paul delowry and he's going to tell us more about that and then we'll actually talk to one of his other clients as well and get some more feedback on how does this process work when we are looking to um to tackle these more weighty topics that are so important how does that process kind of roll so we're gonna uh, talk about that in more depth in just
0: a couple minutes hey are you an accountant or bookkeeper in deep on the construction industry niche or maybe you're just thinking about throwing your hat in the ring we here at construction junction also host a round table over at roundtable labs just for construction types like you. This isn't a workshop or seminar. Instead, we dive deep into the issues faced in this niche and the firms that serve them. We tackle topics together by crowdsourcing our experiences and areas of expertise. We also support each other when things get tough. Think of it as a cross between a mastermind and support group for financial types that you didn't know you needed. So if you're looking to build better construction clients as you build a better accounting business, give us a try.
1: Welcome back. We're excited to be joined by um, my friend, Paul DeLowry, attorney Paul DeLowry. Welcome, Paul.
2: Hey, thanks. Good to see you, Tanya. Thanks for inviting me.
1: Yes. Yeah. I'm so glad that you're here. I'm actually, uh, as I was mentioning in the first segment, I'm actually really excited to kind of talk about this because, um, as you know, my husband and I are kind of in this stage of life where we're thinking about uh, these topics of estate planning and asset management and all of those things that uh, were kind of that, I mean, you should probably think of it at every stage of life, right? But sure. I think uh, when we get to the sort of middle stage of life, it sort of hits you upside the head, like, oh, what are you doing here? And so, of course, that's something that we've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, and so I'm excited to kind of talk to you about this and also um, talk about it in terms of what do people not no, I mean, that's something that we say often here at our firm, you don't know what you don't know. And so kind of fill us in, Paul, what is it that most people don't know about estate planning and asset management?
2: Yeah, so um, so estate planning, so I'm an attorney, I do estate planning and um, asset protection. It's not really the asset management part, but right. yeah, a- asset protection. Um, so this last weekend, I spoke at a Convention of investors, they do they invest in multifamily housing units, and I spoke about asset protection, and I went into a lot of details about here you can have this limited partnership and put uh, uh, individual uh, rental units into separate LLCs, and that's owned by the partnership, and I went into a lot of detail about that, and and it got a little bit complicated, and then someone asked, well. It, where would someone who's just starting, you know start? like do do we start with building all that stuff out? And w- what I said kind of to your point is, well, statistically, more people die than get sued. So uh, it's better to protect yourself from and, and protect your family in case of incapacity, in case you pass away, that kind of thing. so so i I I said, like everyone everyone with any kind of a business should at a minimum have power of attorney forms and a, a will uh, naming making it clear who's in charge and making it clear who's going to run operations if your business you know if you're in a car accident you're laid up in the hospital for a month who's going to be writing the payroll checks and and signing you know signing contracts and all that kind of stuff so that that's the real basic part is just getting a good estate plan. And then that's the foundation for all the other stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, Something that you just mentioned made me think something that you uh, had kind of been instrumental in helping my husband and I understand, Paul, um, which is, you know, you mentioned at the base, someone should have a will. Um, Is the will always the best way to go in managing your estate? Or is there other options? And how should someone look at each of those options?
2: Well, you You always need a will, just in case. And the will is in case there's something there's an asset that would need to be probated in if you pass away. And then secondly, if you have minor children, a will can nominate a guardian to take care of those minor children if you're in a coma, for example, or something like that. So, um, so a a will is necessary for a business owner it's it's really great if you can have a trust. It's really, really good. I've been involved in so many probates involving businesses where the family was fighting over who should be in charge over the course of months. And meanwhile, you know, it's like, I I mean, a business is like a, a okay, um i think a well done business should be like a mule like it 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 produces for the business owner uh but you have to feed and take care of the mule like if if that mule is ignored for 2 months you know the thing's going to walk away or die or something but it's not going to be there uh just like just like nothing happened 2 months later the clients are going to go away the staff's going to leave they're going to you know uh, whatever. So so the whole thing, uh, and I've se- I've just seen this over and over. So to answer uh, your question, yes, a business should be in a trust. Absolutely. And then from there, you can add other things to provide asset protection and whatnot.
1: That makes a lot of sense. And here's another thing I think people don't often think about. Let's say you have your will. Let's say you've set up a trust. If you just sort of have those documents and they're stuck in a drawer somewhere but you don't ever tell anyone where they are or how to find them. like I think it's super important for folks to know and for especially in within your business, um, for um business owners to have communicated to key team members, here's what you guys should do like you said in case I'm incapacitated in case something happens to me, in case I die. We don't want to talk about these things often, but I think it's important within our business to have both within the family, as we were talking about a few minutes ago, but also within the business key team members on the business need to know what are next steps that they should take in those situations as well.
2: Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Everyone needs to know kind of, kind of what, what to do. Uh, And I'm thinking, so we're, we're recording this on February 20th, 2023. And recently there was that train derailment in Ohio and the like no, no one in the community knew what to do. Like they, you know, they, they, I guess they knew about calling 911, but you know, that none of them had ever gone through the possibility that there could be some kind of a disaster like that. So everyone, no one knew anything. And uh, for, for a business, I mean, it, it's, it certainly is possible to imagine that the business owner could not be there at some point or frankly the business owner wants to maybe take a vacation once in a while <laughs> and uh if if the if the business owner is uh tied up or can't get back or the flight's delayed or something like that th- yeah there has to be a clear uh way of deciding who's going to make the decision the next day or sign the paychecks you know paychecks are due next um, the next day and the business owners in an airport with no Wi-Fi. So yeah, correct. There absolutely needs to be some way about that. I probably went too far into detail with that. Sorry about that.
1: (laughs) No, I think it's good. I was, I was just sitting here thinking, I, um, know of a particular situation where a friend of mine passed away and no one knew how to get into her password manager to open any of her, um, you know, uh, any of her softwares that she was running her business on. Um, Many people surrounding her, even though she did have one employee working in her business, um, but even that employee wasn't aware who all of her clients were. Like there was just so much data and information. Um, Several of us in her community, the accounting community stepped in to try and help and get some of these pieces put together. But it was a very difficult road for all of us to help and try to, to understand where things were because there just hadn't been clear communication. And I think... Because, as I said a few minutes ago, we—it's these are um, things we don't like to talk about, right? I don't like to think about who will raise my children if I'm not here to raise them. I don't even want to think about that possibility, but I have to. It's an important thing to think about. So how do you kind of guide clients, Paul, into getting into some of these more sensitive, harder-to-think-about topics?
2: It has gotten easier over the years, I, I will say not too long ago, maybe only 10 years ago, there were still older people who I would do their estate plans. And I would suggest to them that they tell the people in their family what the documents said. And, uh, and, and they would say, no, 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 I'm not going to share anything. Uh, you know, I've I've put things in writing, that's good, done, bam. And Uh, That that was kind of the the older way of doing things. I think going back, you know, I I think in the 50s and 60s, people were really hush hush about money, uh, all all kinds of taboos and and whatnot. But I, I I will say, uh, I don't say good things about social media much. But one of the things about maybe social media, and and whatnot is, I, I think people are a lot more open about talking about things and so lately maybe over the last 5 10 years or so i've i've noticed a change that when i talk to people about the the advantage of talking to your family about you know here's what we've done and have a have a family meeting that people are a lot more open about that i you know i think people now see the see the need about that the need for that
1: yeah that's good um that's a that's an interesting observation uh that I wasn't aware of I just I often see so many folks that still I think again not even necessarily where it's taboo but they are um maybe almost afraid to go there right to almost even think about the fact that I should prepare or plan for something to happen to me makes it feel like I'm causing that thing to happen and that's definitely not the case it's just good planning and any, person or business owner especially, needs to have good plans in place. Let's kind of talk more about, because um, we've talked a lot now about estate planning, but we're also talking about asset protection. So what does that really mean? Let's start there, let's let's define our terms. What is asset protection?
2: Uh, great, I you started with a great question, defining what asset protection means. So to me, asset protection means to protect your assets and i i think i well you laugh but i think uh, i'm probably in the minority of attorneys Uh, i'm probably in the minority of asset protection attorneys when i would define asset protection as protecting assets Um, because uh, the most popular device now i'll give you a, a very common example the most popular method of Asset protection, in air quotes, is using an asset protection trust, and an asset protection trust, in most states and in in almost all situations, will not protect your assets. Uh, and I know that sounds that that sounds weird, uh, because after all, it's called an asset protection trust. Um, But it's the truth. So so let me let me just without getting too nerdy about this, let me just explain what an asset protection trust is. So so you kind of know what I'm talking about. Um, uh, They're they're marketed a lot, partly because they sound great. So the idea is uh, you can put your net worth transfer your business, your accounts, whatnot, to this trust. And you're not the trustee, but you're the beneficiary. And the trust also says that if you're ever sued, those assets are off limits to any of your creditors, uh, and and so it's promises that you're protected, right? Um, the problem is that in most states, uh, that's not recognized, uh, including Arizona, including California, um, and I I think in, well I'll, I'll stop there. Okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll keep I'll just keep to what I know. Um, So those kinds of trusts are recognized in for example, Nevada, Alaska, South Dakota. Uh, But if you if you own something in one of those states, and you happen to um, get either um, put into an involuntary bankruptcy, or you want to file bankruptcy, for some reason, the asset protection trust, unless it's more than 10 years old, is going to be part of the bankruptcy estate. So you're not even you're not protected in bankruptcy, even in a state that supposedly recognizes an asset protection trust. So, yeah. So. So. Anyway, I I forgot what your first question was. Um, we we
1: were defining terms, but yeah, I'm defining terms. Yeah. So. Fascinated. So.
2: Um, so. If like, if you put into Google asset protection, you're going to come up with a whole bunch of ads for asset protection trusts, and they in most in a lot of situations, and unless you unless you're the property that you're wanting to protect is in the I think one of 23 I think states right now that recognizes this. And as long as you don't want to, or you're not thrown into a bankruptcy for the next 10 years, uh, you know, you're good. But for for people here in Arizona, for example, uh, you can't protect a, a, a property or a, an Arizona business with an asset protection trust because the Arizona court is going to just apply Arizona law, which says that um, that's not recognized. So
1: Interesting. so just to clarify, are there even folks who will sell asset protection trusts here in Arizona and not give you that information? Correct. Wow.
2: yeah. so so the idea and we, so, yeah, so we started with defining terms. So in my mind, asset protection should actually protect your assets. Now, um, the people who uh, sell these techniques uh, will say, well but it makes it harder okay and and the the attorney on the other side is going to be less likely to proceed if they if they find out that your assets are in this asset protection trust but i will tell you from experience that that's not really the way things work i mean the the attorney's going to plow ahead uh get the judgment against you and then throw you into a debtor's exam and and see you know see what kind of resources you have to pay this, you know, to pay this debt. And, and it so so it doesn't really it. So it doesn't uh, really, uh, in my experience, uh, scare away people, and then okay, and then in terms of another term. Uh, I, so asset protection should also do more than just hide assets. Uh, because I, I think a lot of people um, again, if you put in asset protection in Google, uh, you'll come up with, for example, a Wyoming LLC is widely promoted um, uh, because it provides privacy. Well, um, like you know, if I go into a war zone with a you know with a camouflage cloak, uh, that's not going to you know I I don't want to be there. I want to be in a tank, yeah, uh, not not in you know not in you know some grass covered clothing or something like that. So. Uh, so the, the the idea of protecting yourself it's um yeah anyway i've i think i've probably explained <laughs> that enough it, it should i mean you, you should have your assets so that they're not easily seen but also it gives you protection
1: that makes a lot of sense i i liked your illustration uh are we just covering them up or are we actually? physically protecting them physically being, an, again, in air quotes, yeah. right? like protecting them the best way that we can. So right, right. when you're counseling and working with someone, because again, basically what you and I do is consulting, right? <laughs> At the end of the day, right. we're giving advice, our best advice. Right. Um, and so when you are walking someone through that, um, what are your, um, you know, how do you advise them when it comes to asset protection?
2: Well, so there's no one-size-fits-all, good question. There's no one-size-fits-all solution for people. Uh, There are some patterns that have worked uh, that are proven to work. Um, And so again, what you do is you start with the foundation of a good estate plan. And then from there, uh, you figure out what the risky assets are, like a a business uh, could get sued uh, for, you know, doing you know, bad work or, you know, faulty work or something like that. Um, the, the business owner could get personally sued for something, if it's management or sexual harassment, or you know, whatever it is, um, or just getting in a car accident. Uh, so so we, we have to look at both things, we need to you know, protect the business owner from business liabilities. And then we need to protect the um, the business from the you know, from the owner's liabilities. And and I think most of the people watching this are um, business owners, right? So that yeah. that's what we, yeah. So, yeah, so we wanna protect both. Uh, and then, you know, thinking about, well, if they have teenage kids, you know, running around with, uh, you know, cars and, you know, maybe not driving safely and making irresponsible decisions. So you need to protect the, the owner and the family from that kind of thing also.
1: Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I liked what you said, and it was a very attorney statement of you, right? There's no one <laughs> place <laughs> fits all. It depends, right? I love that answer from my attorney friends. It depends is, is a good answer from an attorney. I think that's great. Um, if someone were uh, looking and saying, okay, you know, I've I've reached this point at which I do have a business, or you know, as you're talking about, uh, maybe they have some real estate that they want to protect, um, and they're reaching that sort of stage of like, wait, I have all of these things. I don't even know if they're protected. What would be the very first step that they should take? Like you said, the foundation is the estate planning. Um, but then what what would they do next to kind of find out what that roadmap would look like for them?
2: Yeah. So the, the first step is just talking to an asset protection attorney. I mean, you know, call me or or you know, any asset protection attorney should be able to uh, give them an idea of where they are. Uh, and what the what the possible exposures are. Uh, And then, uh, yeah, and then kind of map out uh, the things in order of priority. And frankly, uh, one of the things is just making sure that there's good liability insurance, because insurance is always the first line of defense. Um, And then, yeah, the foundation of the estate plan, and then, you know, figuring out what the what the more likely um, uh, liabilities would be and going from there. I, yeah. I hope that answered the question. It, 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 it makes It's, a it's sense. hard for me to talk about in, in theory. So
1: I get that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's part of it too. And that's why I said it's very loyally of you, but it's, but it's very true that everything is so situational. And so it's, it's much, much harder to come in and say, this is exactly how you protect assets. And, and I think that's one reason why, when you were saying earlier, um, these asset protection trusts seems like such a great idea, right? Like, it seems like this is a one-size-fits-all, this is going to take care of everything that I need it to take care of, one and done, and it's not really that simple in any case.
2: Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, uh, a a really key thing would be to go with an attorney who goes with uh, tried and true traditional methods. So, so this thing about the, for example, the asset protection trust, um, as far as I know, there's only one case that says uh, around the country, there's one case in I think is it was in Nevada, that says that it works. But there's um, historically been well, all the other cases say that they don't work. Um, So, uh, but you know, what we what we do is much more traditional, just a uh, it's an irrevocable trust with a with a couple of little compo- components to it that make it easy to unwind and uh, so it, e- easier to make changes and whatnot. And the real key for people is you want to have, uh, the, okay, so rule number one with asset protection, you want to uh, control things but not own it because what you own can be taken from you. So, uh, and I think John, uh, John D. Rockefeller said, uh, control everything own nothing, or he supposedly said, I don't know, but supposedly he said something like that. Um, but yeah, that so that's the basic approach. And then you want to have flexibility and control. You like you want to have checks and balances, because uh, if you're transferring ownership of your money to what someone else as trustee of this trust, uh, you want to make sure that you're not going to get screwed later. Um, and uh, yeah, you use tried and true methods. So you're not like having to cross your fingers and hope that something works. You want something that's actually worked in the past. Uh, so that's what we do. And so the the basic, uh, the basic building blocks are um, some form of a, a limited partnership, because those those are just there's multiple reasons that those work, I won't get go into them. Uh, right now we can sure it gets a little nerdy but but basically yeah they're they're very protected so you end up putting safe assets into that Uh, safe meaning like uh, an account Um, and LLC is actually considered a a safe asset so you can have the ownership of the LLC in this limited partnership and then risky assets like a business like uh, a rental property um, you know a boat, something like that can go into separate LLCs. And those are then owned by the partnership. And then, and then the partnership, the limited partnership is owned um, by usually two or more different trusts. And the client, you know, your your business owner, Or, or the business owner's trust would be the general partner of the partnership. I'm just about done here, so that so your business owner client is the general partner of the partnership. Um, So they're in control. Being general partner of a part general uh, being general partner of a limited partnership means that they're in control of of the whole thing. Okay, so they have the steering wheel, but the ownership is largely in this. Uh, irrevocable trust that they don't own. So it can't be taken from them. But then there are some other methods, other clauses that we put into the trust so that they can, at some point, unwind it, or make changes, or change the trustee, or take, you know, take money out as a loan, different other things like that. So they still have, they still have, you know, the beneficial use of it, but they don't own it. So it can't be taken from them
1: makes a lot of sense. I loved that you nerded out on that because it really did help (laughs) and everything made a lot of sense. Paul, let's take a quick break because I'd like to actually bring in one of your clients uh, that you've helped do this for and kind of discover how you guys were able to walk through that together. So we'll take just one quick break.
0: If you would like to share your company or product on the Construction Junction, email hello at theprofitconstructors.com to become a sponsor.
1: All right. Welcome back. Um, We're joined now by George Athen, who's a private investor who's been working with Paul on all of these topics we've been talking about, right? George, you've been working with both estate planning and that asset protection. George, you told me when we were kind of chatting a little bit ahead of the podcast, you were looking for both and viewing them as sort of separate uh, types of services, but they really are so interconnected, right? So how did you come to really understand that by working with Paul that, these things are really kind of tightly bound.
3: Well, the first part, I was had some family that was having health issues and I saw family members not talking and all the difficult times and things that happened from the stress. Um, and then when I saw, you know, some people didn't have some of the state, not, not from a financial perspective, it's just health decisions and all these things, um, you know, it made me say, hey, this I, I should look into that. And everyone thinks, hey, I'll do that down the road and there's plenty of people that uh, I'm sure regretted not having that because no one knows, uh, not no one, but many times you don't know when some of these health problems happen. So it, it because of these situations, I started thinking about estate planning. At the same time, I, I go into distressed businesses. So I see a lot of things. So it could be deals that I'm part of, it could be deals that I'm considering, but even going back for the last 13 years even from a consulting standpoint, I've seen a lot of businesses it, it, kind of two scenarios that you guys had mentioned earlier either something's going on in the owner's personal life that's affecting the business they could be, be going through a divorce um you know all these different things and then it's affecting the business and the, or something happening in the business where the executives are actually being sued uh, and a party to the lawsuit not just protecting the corporate veil. So um, I started looking into asset protection so that I could see, hey, whether, you know, even if it's not a, a company that I'm involved in, you know, maybe to help some of these people in some of these messy situations, I just want to learn more about it. Um, and then, you know, I spoke to a number of different asset protection attorneys, you know, it's funny, it was, it, somebody should just kind of go down that path and just, just talk to a bunch of uh, people and hear and and kind of hear the spiel. Um, it's, it's it's pretty entertaining, but um, I felt really good with Paul because you know, Paul lives in both worlds. and while I was talking with him with as far as estate planning, he said, well, you know, what are you doing? And then he we, we went on to the asset protection conversation.
1: That makes a lot of sense. So um, in that in that journey, where you went from here's some things I'm seeing and I see that this is a, a piece of this, one of the things that you said in there, Um, that I'd kind of like to dive into because it's actually something that we talk with our clients about all the time as well is like piercing the corporate veil. Right. So like, I think there are so many business owners, especially business owners who fall in that S corp range, where they've just sort of come up, they've been sole proprietors for so long. Now they're in this S corp world. Um, I think that don't understand what that even means. So Paul, I'm going to ask you this question, like what does piercing the corporate veil mean and how important is it to protect that?
2: So, having okay, what does it mean? Piercing the corporate veil. Uh, so you set up this LLC. You're running your business through an LLC, and you think you're good. Uh, you're you're protected. Uh, if 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 uh, one of your employees uh, gets in a car accident or you know something like that happens, uh, you're you're fine. Um, that's that's the idea of it, especially because you have this Wyoming LLC, you know, and and he paid more money for it, and you know, you think, well, you know, the advertisements say, well, you're, you know, you're totally protected. Well, one um, one of the things that a, a court will do is they'll look at the totality of the circumstances. So there there it's not to the to the court if if this comes up in a lawsuit, it's not like. They're looking. Oh, do you have an LLC? Okay, check. You're, you know, you're protected. No, they're looking at the totality of the situation, and and seeing. Well, okay, so here's this business. How's it run? How's the money flowing back and forth? Um, are uh, 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 the signs on the truck? Does it say, um, you know, uh, Bob's Bob's Builders? Or does it say Bob's Builders, LLC? Are you actually treating the company like it's an LLC, or are is it just uh, you know just something that you're kind of keeping hidden from people? Uh, your checks, you know, do they uh, the the how you pay people and whatnot is that going you know is that coming from the business when people pay you is that going to the business or is it going to your personal bank bank account? Um, do you pay for groceries? uh, with your business account and like all of that stuff, if it comes before the court there, uh, and, and I've seen this happen, uh, it it can become an issue and the the court could basically just hold you, the business owner personally responsible for whatever the, the damages are, you know, despite, you know, despite your claim that you have an LLC. So yeah, Yeah. so that that's a, and, and so piercing the corporate veil is definitely one of the top three ways that people who think they're protected, uh, you know, get shocked, um, you know, and discover later that they're not.
1: Uh, we just to share from my own personal experience, we had a client who was in a partnership. So it was two couples, all four, um, uh, people in a partnership. And one of the couples, uh, continuously was, as you mentioned, since so when me think of this, Paul, buying personal groceries, using a company card. And so my contact within the company came to me and asked what I thought about that. And I said, it's a bad practice, needs to stop immediately. And she went back to the other owners and said, we want to stop doing this. And they said, oh, no, that's one of the perks of perks and air quotes of being a a business owner. So we get to do that. And um, no matter what advice I gave, the other couple refused to listen. And so my, my main contact, the business was, you know, obviously very rightfully so concerned, that her business was being put, you know, in jeopardy, that her this business, she had the partnership and was being put in jeopardy by their actions. And so, you know, they took some steps to 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 mitigate that. But um, yeah, it's just I think a lot of people have certain ideas about what are the their rights or perks as a business owner that aren't necessarily always true. George, I'd like to to see because you've you've gone into lots of distressed businesses. What are some of the things that you've seen in that regard where people don't understand how this can all come crashing down?
3: Yeah, co-mingling funds is one of the, like, if you go you go to buy a business and you look at the financials, one thing is really common is people treat their business bank account like a personal bank account. And it becomes hard to distinguish what is what, especially the smaller the business, the, 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 the more of those two things kind of blend into each other. But also there are other things like you know single member llc's in new york it's it, there's really no protection there from like a debt perspective or you know but people don't know these things because you just read what's on front of the label you're not looking at what's in back of the label you know um it's just easier to kind of get the marketing headline so uh you know i've seen a number of things i've seen businesses where the employee was given a car uh was supposed to use only to and from work on the weekend goes out crashes the car hurts a bunch of people um and even if at the end of the day when it's all said and done it's found that you're not liable you're still going through a lot of drama to get to that point you know um so there's 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 just so much um we you know one of the great things paul helped me look at things differently from this perspective so um one thing is that we had a situation I uh, in this one business, after I came into the business, you know, I, after doing the due diligence, it looked like some, some of the skeletons in the closet were put to bed. Um, after, you know, deals finalized um, in the business, uh, one of the things that we did, first of all, was... Um, we, we started separating some of the assets. So because it wasn't a full acquisition, I was you know purchasing 50% of the company. It was the, the company still existed. It wasn't like an asset sale where I was just able to kind of separate those two. So we had to restructure some things. So where we had, you know, the employees are the anything that faces customers or employees or people, because people tend to be the problem somewhere, right? You know, that's, that's in this company, which leases, uh, to another company that, that has the assets because of just thinking things from this perspective that I w- honestly wasn't even thinking about uh, before. One of those companies, one they signed a like a contract with like a, a contractor, but from three years earlier where it was, the contract was ridiculous. I don't know why the business owner actually signed this thing, but basically it gave them for the next, you know, uh, five years, residuals on a commission on sales that they they should have only gotten the current sales never mind you know what happened and it was it was there it was it was you know this person was dead to rights they you know it, it was a three hundred thousand dollar liability the business was already distressed three hundred if it lost three hundred thousand dollars it couldn't even it wasn't going to be able to afford even the court to to uh, fight it, the attorney fees to fight it so what we wind up doing, because when we came in, we already had restructured this, and this thing had come in after the fact. Negotiating was really easy because we said, "Hey, listen, this entity was—we're we're putting this to bed." Uh, we were able to settle for pennies on the dollar. But I think it's the, a lot of times, just like insurance, or just like anything else, a lot of these people don't think about this until it's too late, and then by the time they think about it and they start doing something about it, it's—it's. It's, it's, I don't think that protection is there, but I'm sure you know Paul could speak to that.
1: No, that makes a lot of sense. And I would say, you know, we've run into that, again, on our side of things as well, like, a lot of the things that can come around to hurt businesses, of course, we work with a lot of um, construction companies, almost, we work exclusively with construction companies with a few rare exceptions, but, um, you know, just little things that business owners either don't know, or they think doesn't necessarily matter to them so much. If it's never gone wrong before, you know, why would I make a change? So something as small as like here in Arizona, um, when they go to work on a new job site, they have 20 days to file a preliminary notice of intent, you know, of of, of the, not intent to lean, but of of the fact that they have the right to lean the property if they need to. But if they don't file that 20 day notice, you know, they can get into some really sticky waters. And we've had clients that came to us, like you were talking about George in distress situations, because oh, well, we've worked with this person for a long time. So we won't file that notice because maybe they won't like the look of it or maybe they will think we're trying to do something. It's like, no, it's just, it's what's included in the law for your protection and what you're supposed to do. It's not that the business that you're dealing with is going to look down on you for doing it. They're going to understand everybody does it. It's what you're supposed to do. It's how these things work. So yeah, I think it's uh, those types of things that either the business owner doesn't understand or... Just thinks that it doesn't pertain to them that come back around to bite them in the end um, and it's the sad part is when you're walking through that with the business owner or when you're coming in like you have uh George, the sad part is it's that by that time a lot of times it's too late to remedy
3: yeah a lot you know a lot of things are, but I think it's you know there's a couple of things going on so it's the mindset of the business owner where you know it even um, in sales and marketing, you know, there's a, there's a thing that says people don't buy the prevention, they buy the cure. And it's because they wait till it's too late. You know, they don't buy the, the health program. They, they, they buy the pharmaceutical medicine to fix it and they want a quick fix. Right. Um, and, but you, you know, again, like you said, oftentimes it's too late. So I think as a society in human nature, that's what we tend to do, but then also on the other side of it, and I could, I could tell you from just the person, you know, shopping for these kind of services what you what you see on social media is really misleading and everyone you know listen part of marketing today everyone has to be an expert and i get it um the problem is it becomes dangerous when you're like ignorant and opinionated at the same time so now everyone's just repeating things you know um and even people that aren't the experts and they're just somebody else that's sharing with their audience what they've heard but when you're sharing a message that's wrong it's bad but let me tell you quickly my experience with dealing with some of the experts. Um, I spoke to a number of different uh, asset protection attorneys and there was there were one of two roads, it only went down. Road one was everything has to go offshore, domestic asset protection trusts don't work, they're ineffective. And then you speak to anyone else, you don't need to go offshore, they're overpriced, expensive, they could still force you to bring the assets back to shore. Um, and this is all you need. Now, 100% of the time, regardless of whichever path that they went down in, in the fork and road, most of them ha- had no questions as far as what am I doing? What am I trying to do? What, you know, it was a very generic, you know, most of their, their free consultation. Obviously, I get it, it's, it's, it's the opportunity to be the sales pitch but it was only focused on their plan. It's cookie cutter, works every time. Um, This is the only way to do it. And then when I would ask questions, because I don't know, so I'm asking questions, I heard from this person this, you know, what was strange was they were 100% certain that there was no other way to do it. Um, And everything that, uh, so usually that's not true. Number one, that's usually not true. Number two, I think I didn't feel comfortable because for two reasons. One, what if my situation is different? So again, I'm not the expert, maybe you could put could cookie cutter system, but just like Paul said, it depends, right? So when Paul and I were working together, he asked questions as far as what do the investments look like now? What are they look, going to look like in the future? What partners do you have? What, you know, like all these things would mean something. And um, and I just felt like and I know from business owners when when I come into a business and the, the the state of the business is in direct proportion to the state of the business owner, how they think, how they act, what they do, right. So every distressed business comes from a business owner that at some point is very close minded, just only does what they thought, and then they find out when it's too late that what they were doing wasn't working. So to me, I was thinking, hey, if there are other ways to do things, I'm sure there are many roads lead to Rome. I I think I was uncomfortable with hearing people not even entertaining the idea of there being any other way. So anyway, you know, when in dealing with Paul, we spent a lot of time, he spent a lot of time asking me questions. And you know, if it it felt the trust that we put together has is is directly correlated to the investment plan and how we operate, the types of businesses that I'm involved in, you know, all these things. So to me, it was it was just a it was a completely different experience.
1: I think George, as I was listening to you say all of that, I really was thinking you're highlighting two really important um, aspects of what the profit constructors considers an ideal client, and that is someone who is uh, willing to invest in, uh, advice from trusted advisors. And I do mean that it's an investment. Like we're going to be spending time with you and understanding things. So they need to uh, be willing to invest in that. And they also, um, need to be open-minded, uh, to trying new things, whether that's a new, uh, workflow, whether that's a new system in the back office, whether that's a new piece of software, um, that open-mindedness and open-handedness when uh, a new client is approaching us is one of the first things that we look for in in determining what's going to be an ideal client for, for our team. Because as you were talking about, we don't do anything that's cookie cutter. We, we do a, a very long prepaid discovery process where we want to find out, you know, how does your business operate? What are you doing now? That's working. What are you doing? That's not working where you want to be in five years. So how should we maybe build out some of these accounting systems to get you to that goal in three or five years, right? So there's all kinds of things that I think uh, it's very important. And, and it's an interesting thing that what you're kind of highlighting is that what we're kind of looking for in our ideal client is that type of business owner that is probably going to be able to grow their business because they're not going to just be consistently closed-minded and only going in one direction, which is just never good for any business.
3: It's never good. Yeah, one of the reasons I I kind of, moved into investing and away from consulting was, I remember having one conversation with a VP of marketing in one of these companies uh, that was a client. And I just said, you know, if the owner wasn't here, if you and I own this company, this business would be in a different place, you know, so much faster. And what tends to happen, at least on the consulting side is, you know, you go through this whole process and say, okay, here's the recipe that's going to fix this business. And then they say, well, I love that. I don't like that you know, give me, give me the eggs, but I don't want the flour. Now we're not baking muffins. You just made scrambled eggs. It's a different thing, you know, so like you can't kind of pick and choose. Um, So when, you know, but I, but I think all business, it revolves around people. Problems also tend to, to come, you know, with people. So I, I think part of the process is start thinking about things that are going to affect you in the future and anyone that is involved in business if they're limited in their own experience if they're limited to the problems that they've seen they may not understand the problems that exist so you speak to an attorneys just in general as a general statement they're more precautious they you know so there's always a joke that sales wants to do everything and and, and um, legal can't, kills everything right yeah. and the, the difference is because legal has been around and they've seen every problem under the sun so the more experience you have in business the more you see problems exist So over the last 13 years, I got a chance to see so many different problems in business. And what winds up happening is sometimes business owners are limited to their experience. And if they think that nothing, they haven't seen anything or heard any of their friends come into a problem, they think that problems don't happen. And they do.
1: Yeah, they can. They do. And they can be devastating if you haven't properly planned for them. Paul, I'd like for you to kind of have the, the, the final word here, like, if someone's looking to, to make a proper plan like that, what, what would you say? I, and you've kind of shared this a little bit, but like it, what's their, how can they I'm Trying to think how I want to ask this question really well. George has kind of outlined that like he went through a whole vetting process for finding that right person. How can someone vet and make sure that they're really working with someone who has seen all of that and isn't just trying to sell them something cookie cutter?
2: Boy, that's that's hard because I'm I'm usually one of the people that. Uh, how do I say this? I'm trying to put this into an actual sentence. So, um, it's very common for people to to do research like what George was doing, and talk to a bunch of attorneys. And it's usually m- like me giving real information, uh, versus a couple of salespeople. And uh, I, you know, I I mean. So, so, I'm not super salesy, I I just give, I, I say what I know, and I want to, you know, delve into it. And uh, I, I happen to know in the real world that there are no 100% guarantees about things. And so um, anyway, if, if someone wants a 100% guarantee, they can go with one of the other companies, but just realize that uh, it's not real. And, you uh, well, I I should take that back. So the 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 guarantee part. I mean, what they should do is is go with something that's tried and true. And if you're if you're talking to an asset protection attorney, you should find out what their definition of asset protection is. Okay, does it mean that? You know, I'm actually going to be protected, and it's not just you're you're not just selling me something that you're hoping will scare away people at some point in the future. Um, and then, like, how tried and true is it? Like, you know, uh, so has this been tested in the courts? And you know, like, it's 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 been held up over and over and over. Or, uh, or are 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 you stuck? You know, trying to maybe find one case that supports this thing that you're trying to sell me. Um,
1: Yeah. I think part of what you're highlighting is what George and I were just talking about, right? Like when you go to find any, any sort of outside consultant, maybe one of the first questions you should ask is what's been your experience, right? And just kind of draw out, like, how long have you been doing this? What have you seen? What do you know? Because I think, again, uh, those of us who are coming in and and offering our best advice, it's based on years of experience, years of seeing oh, if you don't file that preliminary notice, this is what happens. Oh, you know what, Paul, one of the things you taught me, we we had an LLC with a DBA and you helped us to kind of figure out and navigate that, like, was the DBA the best way to go? And so just like asking your trusted advisors for real advice and finding out what do they know and what have they seen, I think is one of the best ways to go about that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, you almost got me off on a tangent with the LLC with the DBA. That's almost like having an LLC and then saying, well, we don't really care for protected or not. Uh,
1: (laughs) And you (laughs) know, what's interesting is I have uh, lots of friends in the accounting space that will come to me and they say, well, we're operating, you know, we started our business with doing the same thing we did. We started our business with this name. We decided to rebrand. It was easier just to do the DBA. And when I say to them, oh, well, my attorney (laughs) informed me that's not really the best way to go. And here's why they're like, I never thought of that, right? So again, it's like you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so reach out, find good trusted advisors, invest in the time that they're taking to spend time with you and listen to what they have to say because they're speaking from experience.
2: Well, and in one last word is uh if you're going after asset protection, uh, has your have has your planning work actually survived in the courtroom? Like, you know, have, have you actually been through lawsuits? Have you personally like, you know, seen what happens when, uh, when, uh, after a judgment and the person is in a debtors exam and and you know all of you know everything about yourself is is exposed your social security numbers, all of your bank accounts, any trust or any companies that you have any interest in and if you if you refuse to disclose that stuff, then you can be held in contempt of court and fined even jailed, all this kind of stuff. so um yeah, like ha- has the person, uh, has a person actually been through the the tough times? That's what you need to find out.
1: Yep. I love it. Thank you so much, Paul and George, for joining us. I think this has been a fantastic discussion, and I really appreciate your time today.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for tuning in to Construction Junction. To find out more about the junction between accounting and construction, please email hello at theprofitconstructors.com.